This is Catholic Daily Brief. Before we begin the episode, I'd just like to make another appeal that if these podcasts are helpful to you, please follow or subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and give a five-star rating. And if you don't find them helpful, please give a five-star rating anyway and pretend that it's out of 10. Also, consider becoming a member at my Patreon, patreon.com slash catholicdailybrief. It includes a lot of uh, extra content, an extended episode each week, audio of spiritual reading, every Sunday commentary from the Fathers of the Church on that Sunday's Gospel. I also provide some of the resources and documents that I mention in the daily podcast. To become a member, it's $5 a month, or to think of it another way, for just 17 cents a day, you can help support this podcast. Okay, now on to the episode. Episode 12. Where did the Bible come from? We've talked about the importance of scripture, so it seems like a fitting time to ask, where does it come from? We talked about who the authors are, talked a little bit about how to read scripture, but how did we get the books contained in scripture as we have them now? Why those ones and not others? And why all of those ones? What process brought all of those together into the one book now that we call the Bible? I'm going to focus here more on the New Testament than on the Old. So we know the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were written by the Apostles or companions to the Apostles. We know that Acts of the Apostles was also written by Luke. We know of St. Paul's many letters, the letters of St. Peter, James, Jude, the book of Revelation, letter to the Hebrews. But it's not as if those were the only books speaking about Christ or claiming to be books by apostles or disciples at the time. There were, in the first few centuries of the church's history, many things that claimed to be gospels. You hear about them nowadays, again, usually around Easter, when some news outlet claims that they've discovered the gospel of Thomas or the gospel of Judas, even though they've been available on your Barnes and Noble shelf for like the past 40 years. So why weren't those included? Why weren't all of these other books that were floating around about Jesus not included? What led to what we call the canon of the New Testament? That is the list of books that were considered inspired sacred scripture. So just to be clear, uh, this episode is not about the differences between the Catholic Bible and the Protestant Bible in that they differ in their number of books in the Old Testament. That will be for a future episode, though from the name of this podcast, you can gather which version I believe has the authentic number of books. But what we're going to be talking about mainly is what criteria were used to bring these books and not others together as inspired scripture. Who made that decision and based on what? The number of books in the Old Testament will come up because that was decided when the church affirmed the total number of books in the Bible, Old and New Testament. But we won't be focusing on the distinctions between the Old Testament canons in the Protestant and Catholic Bibles. 
though we will do so in a future episode. So a first point to make is that the Bible as we have it today, our access to the Bible as we have it today, that was not a reality, certainly in the first centuries of the church, because the canon of scripture wasn't even definitively declared until the fourth century. But even after that, people didn't have access to one bound book of scripture. It wasn't widely printed even until the 15th century with the invention of the printing press. But even then, it was too costly and difficult to have a personal copy of scripture for most people. So the Bible as we have it today is a very new reality that wasn't the case until recent centuries and was not the case for the majority of the history of Christianity. So this is the first point to make really is that scripture came about in the midst of the living church, right? Immediately after Pentecost and the apostles preaching the word, that was the gospel, that was the New Testament, the new covenant being preached. And you'll remember that in the last episode when we talked about how to read the Bible, it was important to read it within the community of the church in the sense that she is the bride of Christ, inspired and guided by the Holy Spirit. This is very much how the New Testament, the Gospels, or the Gospel rather, was preached in the early centuries. It was a proclaimed and preached reality before it was a written word. So the New Testament was written between, say, 50 and 100 AD, so the second half of the, the first century. St. Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, probably the earliest, but Paul's letters in general were uh, the earlier writings. And the Gospels, of course, came out at different time, different years, different decades, in fact. The other epistles from the other apostles came out at different times, and the book of Revelation was written last, probably around the year 99 or 100 AD. So you have a few gaps here. You have about, about 20 years between the death of Christ and the first New Testament writing, and 70 years between the death of Christ and the completion of the New Testament. And then another 300 years or so between the death of Christ and the definitive declaration of the canon or the table of contents, if you want to put it that way, of scripture. This is not just to make a point about uh, tradition being a bearer of God's word as spoken or handed down and scripture being the bearer of God's word as written, but it's also to show the mechanism, I guess, by which the church lived and proclaimed the gospel and also the criterion by which the church recognized the inspired word of God. It was within the life of the church, primarily the preaching and the liturgical life of the church, that the inspiration of certain texts as they came from the hands of the apostles were recognized as inspired. When we talked about the reliability of the Gospels, we talked about the importance of the authenticity, that is, that they were written by who they said they were written by. So the apostles, being the special bearers of Christ's word, chosen specially by him, ordained to go and preach and to baptize, the Gospels that came from the hands of the New Testament writers who were all apostles or companions to the apostles, those writings were, of course, recognized as bearing some special stamp of God's truth. And so not only the Gospels, but the various epistles of the New Testament, which all came from the hands of, again, apostles or companions to the apostles, 
held a special place in the life of the church because they were seen as the authentic preaching of those chosen by God and thus authentic expressions of God's new covenant with his church. And so they were read within the context of the liturgy. But it's important to note that these were accepted as inspired writings because they faithfully expressed the preaching that was handed down in these intermittent years between Christ's ascension into heaven and the first putting of quill to papyrus of the New Testament. And so again, this is a recognition of the church, a kind of self-reflection in the life of the church, recognizing the authenticity of the words of the bridegroom Christ in the heart of the bride, the church. It was not some committee that's, that evaluated each letter as it came out and decided whether it was inspired or not. It was its presence in the life of the church, and again, most importantly, the liturgical life of the church, that had given a stamp of not just approval, but of divine approval to these New Testament books. The apostles were keenly aware that Christ had said to them, whoever hears you, hears me. So you even begin to see some self-awareness of the inspiration of their words as they put them down in scripture. St. Paul said that they should not accept any other gospel different from what he has proclaimed to them, even if an angel should tell them differently. So it's not just in this 20-year period between the death of Christ and the beginning of the writing of the various books of the New Testament that this was the way the church worked. This is the way that the Christian community lived. The faith was a living tradition passed down by preaching almost exclusively. And even after the completion of the last book written, which is by the Apostle John, the book of Revelation, it's not as if someone said, well, there it is, all wrapped up. Let's grab all the various copies and put them together. No, there were still disputes because, again, there were other works, other letters, other gospels claiming to be on the same level as the authentic ones. But the church rejected them in her life because, first, they had no part in her liturgy, the tradition, her liturgical tradition. And also, these books were recognized as being too late to be authentic, that is, too late to be authored by the apostles, or they contained things that contradicted the preached word that had been handed down. There's, I forget if it's the Gospel of um, Judas or the Gospel of James, you know, the pseudo-Gospels, where it has a story of Christ's childhood where he just picks up some mud and turns it into a bird to impress a neighbor kid or strikes down another kid because he stole something from him. <laughs> the Christian community realized this was obviously not inspired word of God because it is very much against the person of Christ and what they knew of the person of Christ as preached by the apostles. So it was far from settled. The New Testament canon was far from settled when John the Apostle died. There were still disputes, but the tradition of the church continued on, her liturgical tradition continued on, using and reading and reflecting on and preaching those things that she had accepted into her spiritual and liturgical life. So the church had always considered and taken very seriously the idea of the church as the body of Christ, a living thing. Also the bride of Christ took very seriously Christ's promise that the, the gates of hell would never prevail against it, that it would speak for him, that whoever heard the apostles heard Christ, and that they continued to speak through the tradition of the church, that Christ continued to speak through the church. 
So this is a very different idea of the church than most people have in modern times, that it's just a group of people and there are certain people that, you know, make decisions. There's always an element of that, of course, in any human community, but the church is primarily uh, the body of Christ, a, a living thing, and the church has always seen herself that way. And so these decisions aren't just committee decisions that are made, but a reflection on the entirety of the church's life in all of its facets. Her prayer, her teaching, her preaching, her practices, all of these things informed the church's understanding of Christ and herself. And also was the, the process by which she discerned through the teaching authority of the church, which Christ gave to his apostles, which books would be considered inspired scripture to the exclusion of any of the other ones that claimed to be. And this wasn't done in any official way until the Council of Rome in the year 382. Uh, and then it was reaffirmed after kind of continuing discussions, reaffirmed at the Synod of Hippo in Africa in 393, and then the Council of Carthage in 397. So the list of books that we have in that late 4th century series of councils is the, the same list that we have in our Bibles now. But the process that led up to that was not one of trial and error or anything like that or a series of decisions made. It was the fruit of the church's reflection on her liturgical tradition. And even so, the method of teaching the faith continued to be primarily handing it down by preaching for the next millennium at least before you would even have the ability to have widespread copies of the scriptures to be read. It used to be the case that, you know, when churches began to be built, they were considered catechisms or scriptures in stone and glass. That is, the people would learn about scripture through the liturgy and through the art of the church. And so you see here a, a kind of a dynamic between scripture and tradition. In a way, scripture comes from tradition uh, in its origins. It, it is the fruit of the tradition of the church. So that's the answer, I suppose, that we can give to the question, where does the Bible come from? It comes from the life of the church. If we really believe that the church is guided by the Holy Spirit and can speak for Christ and whoever hears the apostles hears him and whoever hears the church hears Jesus, then it's believable that the Holy Spirit guided the life of the church to accept these and only these books of the New Testament to be handed on as the authentic, inspired, and inerrant word of God. Now, there's plenty of argument that needs to be made from the Gospels themselves that the church is, in fact, the one founded by Christ. That's the, the third step of apologetics after natural apologetics and Christian apologetics is Catholic apologetics to show that the church as it is now is the same as the one instituted by Christ when he was on earth. And so that will be the stuff of a future episode. Thank you once again for listening to Catholic Daily Brief. God bless.